Hello, and welcome to the Artificial Podcast, with your host Nick Myers. Artificial Intelligence. Voice Recognition. Machine Learning. Robotic. Actionable Analytics. It is Nick's goal to help everyone understand how AI and voice technology are reshaping our lives both personally and within organizations. Your glimpse into the growing world of AI and voice first starts now. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Welcome to the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and I am here to help break down topics in artificial intelligence and voice first to show everyone how these technologies are going to impact our lives both personally and within organizations. The Artificial Podcast is brought to you by Red Fox AI, helping give brands a voice to the power of AI and voice assistant technology. Welcome back to another episode of the Artificial Podcast. This week's guest is Roger Wolkoff. Roger is a motivational speaker who helps you tap into your strengths and potential so you can get out of your own way and get more done. He speaks about the power of connecting, gratitude, and appreciation. Roger has over 20 years of expert interpersonal communication and team building experience and has worked in various IT, project management, and market intelligence roles for companies like American Family Insurance, CUNA Mutual Group, and WEA Trust. Roger helps leaders and high-performing teams communicate with clarity, conviction, and positive intent. Roger is an expert in emotional intelligence, communication, and building positive relationships. Roger, welcome to the Artificial Podcast. How are you? I am great, Nick. Thanks for having me. No, I'm, I'm super grateful that you are on the show this week because I know you and I, when we first met up at Pertillo's, here in Madison a couple months ago, I think it was more or less like, oh, okay, we found each other pretty cool. And then as we started talking, I found out that you have a secret tech AI geek in you that I, I think I really tried to bring out in our conversation. And then you, of course, found out what I was working on. And I think you probably felt the same way. So I'm really glad to, to be able to have a chat with you here and, and dive in a bit to AI and some of the stuff you're working on and, and maybe how they work together. Exactly. So first and foremost, what I typically always like to ask my guests that I have on the show is, you know, I, I guess maybe dive into a bit of your background. How did you get to the point that you are now? And more specifically, what led you to get started in IT and ultimately find an interest in technologies like AI? Well, it all started years ago when I was in high school uh, and we got our first VIC-20 uh, and for those of you who don't know what a VIC-20 is, go Google it. It was one of the very first uh, <laughs> personal computers. And I just started coding, and then I learned basic programming. And I've just always been a little bit of a geek ever since then. And it wasn't until uh, I started working, uh, I got my first job, that it was, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of things, but mostly data. Mm -hmm. Data intrigued me from the start. You know, uh, that was the big thing. So I've always had this little little bit of a geek in me and I've always wanted to help. How do, how do I help people with the technology? And that's what led me to a, a career in uh, uh, application training back in mm -hmm. the day, teaching people how to use Windows and Word and Excel and all that kind of stuff. And then my uh, curiosity led me to a, a tech support role. Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, just, of course, being a part of technology, I mean, working on some of, I, I know this will sound bad coming from me, older systems, because right. I'm, I'm 25. And of course, I've been working with a lot of the newer stuff throughout the course of my life. But 
what has the evolution been like for you watching and working with some of these technologies over the course of so many decades now from what you started out with until now? I think the biggest thing is seeing how people use the tech and, and I'm going to go back to the, the data piece again. Uh, whenever, whatever, whatever role I've been in, I've been, and as a project manager, I was a business analyst. Uh, data was the foundation of everything, but data is just data unless you do something with it. Right. And so one of the things that I enjoyed doing, like I would get, I would get these query tools and I would use Excel to go into our mainframe and try to extract data and make sense out of it. Yeah. And you know, people do that at a very slow rate. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I would look for patterns. Patterns always intrigue the daylights out of me. Uh, you know, whether it's human behavior, data, whatever it is, there's patterns in there. Yeah. And so I'd always look for, like, one of the things I love to look for are outliers or big trends, whatever it might be. But as you well know, right, AI machines can do that a heck of a lot faster. So oh, yeah. uh, I've always been intrigued with these mountains of data that we have and just wondering what people do with it. I mean, no, that's the, that essentially is the foundation of this tech explosion that we're currently going through. And I think you and I touched on that too. when we chatted at Pertillo so many months exactly. ago was what essentially is driving all of this growth in technology, specifically the field of artificial intelligence and its data. And you know, kind of, I think I mentioned before we started recording here, I, I, of course, took a look through your LinkedIn profile, and I noticed that you were in a market intelligence role at one point, where I'm assuming in that role, you dealt with a lot of data specifically geared towards consumers, right? I did. It was in insurance. And uh, my, my role there was to study uh, insurance companies like Progressive and Geico uh, and eSurance. And what I was most intrigued with is what, what these companies were doing with their data. And so if you look at uh, what uh, like Progressive does where they, you know, they do the, um, uh, the program where they measure your driving and then mm -hmm. they detect your rate, right? So they're collecting these, this, these huge amounts of, uh, of driving data uh, to determine what kind of risk you are. You know, so not only are they doing that for me, but, you know, so they collect my information, but they collect everybody's information and, and from hard stops and uh, fast starts, you know, they're able to determine right. how risky a driver you are. And I'm like, well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, you're referring to because I remember when I signed up for my insurance through American Family, they had the option to install that little unit in the car to track right. your data in real time. And, and I'm assuming they can track so much more than even just simple things. I remember I was reading through the fine print and it said brake data, engine data. I mean, they, they can track right. so much of this, which I'm assuming can go into how they adjust your rate for insurance. And of course, right. with me in, in the tech space, I'm thinking, well, how neat is this? But then I thought, wow, that's, that's a lot of data that they have access to. And, and I don't know how I feel about that. And of course, they offer you a break on your rate to do that. But no, that, that's really interesting. You got kind of a, a hands-on with some of that consumer intelligence data. Right. You know, and, and, and was it more or less when they first started coming out with that or were they already kind of into having these types of devices that were able to collect that consumer intelligence data? They were just starting. Uh, well, Progressive and, and Geico had it out uh, or an insurance were talking about it. And I know American Family does it now. 
But that remember, remember when you and I were talking, that segued into more geekdom <laughs> for me. <laughs> and one of the natural progressions was right to start talking about a company like Tesla. Right. Uh, and how intrigued I am with, with Tesla because of their enhanced autopilot program. And so what Tesla does as a, well, they, they, they call themselves more than just a car company. I mean, they're, they're a huge data collection company, right? Oh yeah. And what they're doing with all of their cars is they're, they're uh, collecting all of that drive, all the driving data uh, to make the car a smarter car, especially with that enhanced autopilot. And I just find that fascinating that, you collect data to make the machine smarter. And that's what, that's what machine language and AI does. And so that's just a fantastic example of how we're using data to make decisions. And I would argue, you know, some, some argue the other way, but I argue that it's to make safer driving conditions. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And I think this is one of the things that a lot of people I'm finding struggle with is we have access to all of this data now and it's able to create such personalized personas of all of us. And yes. especially when you look at social media and I think I've talked about this before in the podcast and I'm sure you've, you've even maybe have read articles on it, of course, where people are talking openly in front of their smartphone or something and then all of a sudden they get an ad for it. And I actually dove into this a bit and discovered that it isn't necessarily your phone listening to you because, of course, there are a set of privacy protections for that. Now, some of them are unknown as to how they work. Right. But more or less than anything is when you're browsing the Internet or when you're on social media and tapping on different things or when you're going to different websites, all of that data is being collected and you're leaving a paper trail. And then subconsciously, totally. when you visit these different things, you may bring it up at a certain point in time. But the technology is that good and the data collection is that good that it is able then to recommend to you what, what you're talking about in that moment more than likely because you did an internet search on it or you looked at something related to it without even realizing that you did it. And it's that, I call it hyper-personalization oh, yeah. of, of data and, and content that so many people just aren't used to. And what you're talking about here with the insurance industry monitoring how people drive to provide them better rates that scares people because we're just not used to that hyper-personalization with data that that really has made its way into the marketplace over the past five, six years or so here. Exactly. Yeah, I was recently looking for uh, ways to uh, increase the Wi-Fi signal in my house. Uh, and uh, sure enough, you know, I get, I start getting emails uh, for it. I start getting uh, social media <laughs> ads for uh, uh, Wi-Fi enhancers. Uh, and, uh, oh, look, Amazon is being so helpful in telling me that uh, these three are on sale right now. Right. Um, and, and, and you're right. Uh, based on our browsing history, based on what we're asking our phones or our computers, uh, yeah, there's, I love what you said right there. They're creating the persona. Here's a person who's looking for uh, I was also looking for USB connectors. I was looking for, um, I forgot what else. Oh, I, I, I ended up looking for uh, mugs, uh, coffee mugs for the, the pithy sayings that they have on them. That's all I was looking for. <laughs> and so here's a coffee drinking, Wi-Fi, you know, Wi-Fi enhancing USB searcher. You know, somewhere out there, you know, there's, they're trying to collect, you know, they're making a persona about what this guy searches for. Right. 
and trying to create marketing messages uh, that are appealing to me or, or, or any messages that are appealing to me. It's kind of scary. It is. It is. But I, I tend, I guess, with my background too in marketing and comm, I even get afraid of it sometimes, but then I kind of have to remind myself that this is, this is the future. This is the next generation right. of content. And this is the next generation of how people are going to consume information and content with this hyper-personalization. And I think as we probably move through the next couple of years and definitely into the next decade, of course, this is going to become more, right. but I think we're going to see some major strides happen when it comes to privacy and how that data is collected, because I kind of feel like when we look at how a lot of this is done currently, it's like there's a pot of boiling water on the stove and the steam is just ready to pop the lid off of it. Right. I really feel like that's where we're kind of getting to the point with a lot of the collection of data, how that's done, the transparency of it. I really think we're going to see some changes in the next decade. But kind of shifting gears from this a bit, I, I want to learn more about what you're doing with authenticity and the talks that you give and what your core focus is. So maybe if you want to dive into that a bit and then maybe explain how you're kind of combining what you do with motivational speaking, with the power of authenticity and, and how that works with technology ultimately. That's a great question. So I've, I've started to use authenticity more as an adjective for what I do. So one of the fields that intrigues me the most, you and I talked about, uh, I just mentioned was, you know, people's behavior. And one of the key areas that attracts me the most is uh, character, uh, uh, social, uh, social intelligence, and uh, emotional intelligence. And so when we're authentically uh, ourselves, you know, we can change our emotional intelligence. That's one of the things that we can change. We can't change our personality. We can't change our intelligence, but we can change how we interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And so one of the most fascinating things that's been overlaid on top of emotional intelligence is technology, right? Uh, and our dependence on technology. And one of the most striking things that I get from all of the talks that I give, uh, when we start talking about emotional intelligence and communication, is people's sense of presence mm-hmm. and being and having an intentional conversation. So, for example, I love the conversation you referenced that you and I had, right? We go to Portillo's, we have a little Italian beef, and we're sitting there, and you and I are having an intentional conversation, right? We're making eye contact, we're reading body cues, our phones were off (laughs) or put away. Uh, So, we're able to have a very meaningful conversation with uh, social cues, voice cues, all of that kind of stuff. I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing is that the, the challenge to people's emotional intelligence is uh, the interruption and the dependence on technology. Mm-hmm. No, I, I would agree with that completely. I mean, think about it. Prior to really, I mean, of course, personal computers have been around since, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. And then, you know, we really saw things boom with the internet. But I, I really think what you're talking about here in that gap between EQ and, and really, well, okay, let me rephrase the gap between emotion, having a high quality emotional intelligence and Mm -hmm. technology, I think really started with the rise of mobile because it's when everybody was able to access all of this information and access the internet in the palm of their hand is when we really actually 
started to become more disconnected. And I know it may sound funny for me saying that because I'm, I'm so into AI, but I'll, ultimately I agree with you. I have always made a habit of it when I go out to eat with somebody or I am really trying to have a one-to-one -one engagement with somebody, I put my technology away. And right. as you get in the habit more of doing that, I, I can't tell you, Roger, how many times I've looked around a restaurant and people are just sitting there and they're buried in their right. smartphone. I mean, you know, in a way, as much power as artificial intelligence is giving us, as much power as technology is giving us, it's taking some stuff away as well. And it's really kind of fascinating to watch, actually. People are people are attached to uh, their their phones or their devices as as if it were another person. Yes. Right. It, and there are studies done on the way we we touch our phones, the way we look at them. Uh, so we have to make a conscious choice about, and it is a choice about who I'm going to be present for or how I'm going to be present, uh, because we have this device that is either. Uh, making noises at us or vibrating or indicating, hey, pay attention to me, right? It's almost like a little three-year-old. <laughs> you know, you see the three-year-old in the store, mommy, 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 right? And, uh, or, or daddy, 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 and they're tuck, tugging, on their, uh, tugging on their shirt or their pants or something. They want to pay, they want to be paid attention to. And that's, that's kind of the analogy I look at with our devices. You know, they're always making a noise. They're always making mm -hmm. some kind of uh, signal to us to pay attention to us. Uh, so I think it challenges where we focus our attention. Um, and the connection to authenticity is, you know, it, to me, it's about making a choice right. about where and who you want to be present with. Do you want to be present with Siri and Alexa? Uh, or uh, do you want to be present with the people who are surrounding you? Right. Do you think there could potentially ever be a bridge between the two where you can be present with the people around you will also simultaneously utilizing and being present with some of these different technologies that we have at our disposal? Well, it, that's a real interesting question. I, I think I'm going to say it's possible. I, I, and I'm going to cautiously say, <laughs> I hope it's not highly probable. Yet here you're talking to a guy who has an Alexa cube in his home <laughs> and has gotten used to saying, hey, Alexa, turn on the TV. Hey, Alexa, switch to cable. Um, it, I never thought I'd be there yet. You know, the device came into our house uh, and, uh, you know, it, instead of, you know, hey, look what I made the computer do. It's, hey, look what the computer's making me do. Right. Uh, so I don't know if there's ever going to be a time when it's AI is this smart, intelligent. I think there will be a time when AI is the smart, intelligent thing ne sitting next to us. And I'm curious as to see whether or not we treat, uh, 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 treat it as a, uh, like we do a human entity. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's actually something that's really interesting, specifically with the space I am more so with voice assistant technology is that's actually a really big point of discussion right now, because there's a lot of conversation happening in the space right now as to why you know people of course are adopting these smart speakers and they're adopting the technology in mass but why aren't they actually diving deeper into it you know beyond just asking questions related to weather or setting a timer or even basic search questions you know there's a whole third party ecosystem to let's use alexa as an example i mean there's a hundred thousand quote-unquote skills 
on the Alexa skills store that just add an entirely new layer to the technology itself. And a lot of us have been talking, why aren't people using those more? And one of the things that I've really been thinking about is because as advanced as Alexa is, it's still, it's, it's still not necessarily human-like, if you know what I mean. I do. You know, you know when, you, when you ask Alexa a question, you still kind of have that robotic intonation. You know, it, it still is like a piece of technology that is meant to carry out a request for you. It's not like this technological entity that is meant to work in tandem with your life necessarily. And I think that's where the holdup is. And I think a lot of that will come with more development, of course, just with the technology itself. And as AI grows and we have more access to data to train it, but that is definitely one of the big discussions going on now is what is what is the holdback with a lot of people from diving deeper into this? And I think it's still that disconnect because it still is very computery, robotic, if you will. So I'm happy you brought that up, actually. <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting. Uh, we didn't know this, and I don't know if you know this, Nick. There actually is a Culver's skill, Culver's being yep. the, uh, the uh, custard chain, the Butterburger chain. So... Uh, my wife actually installed the, uh, or got Alexa to do the, uh, Culver's skill, uh, to get it to tell us what the flavor of the day is at our local yeah. Culver's. And, and that just blows me away. Right. You know, so <laughs> when, when I talked about treating AI as a friend in the room, you know, it, it just blows my mind when, you know, I hear her say, Hey, Alexa, what's the Culver's flavor of the day? And I'm like, really, this is where we're going. And yep. I guess it is where we're going. Right. And, and part of that too, you know, we're looking at this from a branded standpoint too. So like, you know, like you said, Culver's is essentially giving you that information, but they're just doing it through Alexa. And, and truth be told, as much as I'm into this, I've never actually sat down and actually, you know, tested that particular skill, but it's mm -hmm. really interesting what some of this technology is doing to us emotionally. So kind of going off of that even, so I know you have, and, and remind me, have you had your talk at Dream Bank yet? Yes. You have? How did that go? And I want you to dive into that. So I know the topic of it was appreciation intelligence, the new AI. So yeah. tell me a bit about that and what you <laughs> kind of dove into there, because it sounds like, again, you're merging EQ with this whole concept of advanced technology that may not necessarily have EQ. So if you could open that box up a bit, I'd, I'd love to chat. <laughs> Yeah, so it was a play on definitely, you know, uh, paying homage to the, the the geeky side, right? Appreciation intelligence. So it's another uh, social intelligence piece. Uh, what what I was riffing on, uh, Gary Chapman, who did the uh, five love languages, uh, also did uh, the five languages of appreciation at work. And those are just very simply uh, words, acts of service, quality time. Uh, giving gifts and also uh, touch as a component. But uh, what I wanted to do was, I, I, I think as the as uh, as uh, we enter, you know, generations who are more more and more used to uh, technology, mm -hmm. I don't want us to lose sight of the fact uh, uh, that we need to interact with each other. And to me, gratitude and appreciation are these skills that uh, people want to be reminded of mm -hmm. uh, and want to hear more about because there's so much great research that shows that when we appreciate others, it does so many good things for us, you know, individually, it increases oxytocin in the brain, which is our social connecting bond. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I fear, you know, what I tell people is the good news is I'm going to have a job for the next 10 years. 
the bad news is I'm going to have a job for the next 10 years <laughs> trying to, trying to, you know, make sure that we don't lose sight of these EQ, these appreciation skills. So the appreciation was amazing. We got a lot of, it's very interactive. We put down a lot of ideas about how we can spend time with each other. And I have the group, uh, I, I take pictures of the post-its that we put around the room. Uh, so we're not losing sight of how important appreciation is mm -hmm. to us. Do you ever think that AI will get to the point where it will be emotionally intelligent? It will have a cognizant awareness of human emotion, maybe not on the level that we have, but yeah. even in any degree, do you think so? I do, you know, and I read enough doggone science fiction that, you know, <laughs> you know, there's all that, you know, uh, portent of doom and all that, but there's also good stuff out there. You know, uh, I think, you know, true tests of, uh, uh, true test of AI is, you know, how can, can, is it believable? Is it conversant? You know, that's a test. There are right. lots of tests. Um, I think, you know, I think it would be easy enough to get fooled. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who could be fooled into thinking that they're having conversations with an intelligent uh, uh, human being and that AI would replicate that. I, right. I see it as a possibility. Yeah. And a high probability. Right. And I mean, you, some of that is even we can already see some of that starting today. I don't know if you are familiar with the Google duplex technology. Um, and that's something that I've, I've shown off a couple of different times in my time. Actually, did I show that at my Dream Bank talk when you were there? I don't remember if it was. It was the one where Google Assistant um, basically made a phone call to a hair yeah. salon and booked an appointment. Did I show yeah. that one? Yes. No, I, I, but oh. I do know what you're talking about. I, yes. I, I remember when it came up because I, I remember reading about it, making uh, reservations at restaurants and yep. uh, things like that. So yeah, I'm totally, I totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, and, and when you look at a technology like that, kind of to your point where we'll start having these experiences where you won't ex exactly know if you're talking to another human being versus a piece of technology, we're, we're already starting to get there. Cause I mean, if you think about something like that, it right. sounded completely human. I mean, and let alone they tossed in the cutesy little mm -hmm's and ums and all the different things, but right. you know, they proved that the lady on the other end of the telephone who did not know that was Google assistant calling her did not know that was not another human being. So I think a lot of this is already starting to kick up a bit in terms of, the technology itself being advanced enough to sound like a human now, now let alone, even though it sounds like a human being, there's no emotion in that whatsoever, right? It's just reading yeah. through all of these different conversations and parsing through that data to be able to mimic that. But there is no true EQ yet. I don't think with it. So that's, this is really Not interesting. Yet. I'm really curious to see where this is going to go. <laughs> so, but you know, when, when we're looking at AI as a, as a whole and, I, I, of course, have my reservations with it, and especially with you kind of diving into the impact that it's going to have and our ability to connect with one another and our overall EQ. What is one of the biggest concerns that you have when it comes to artificial intelligence as a technology? I think it's two things, and it boils down to these two for me. One is uh, uh, the lazy factor. <laughs> <laughs> You know, is, is this technology going to make us uh, lazy? Are we going to expect the machines to do all the computing for us? Are we going to expect the machines and the, the constructs to, to do the work for us, right? Like make the reservation or uh, is it going to take away our, our, our creative thinking? I don't think so, but I'm a little concerned just given what, you know, the iPhone and, and technologies like that right. did. 
The other one that I'm concerned about, it kind of is on the heels of the, a point I was just going to make about what you were saying with um, emotional intelligence and smart conversations. You know, it, it, it's an awareness. So I'm concerned about awareness. And when I say awareness, I say awareness on uh, mankind, humankind, uh, humankind's part. You know, are we... I hope that we are aware enough and sophisticated enough thought-wise uh, not to be uh, duped or uh, <laughs> led, led down a, a, a slow path of, yeah. uh, I'm not, you know, assimilation is too strong a word, um, but uh, you know, how comfortable are we gonna, going to be with, you know, back to my point, look what the computer made me do. Um, you know, how, you know, uh, how, how far down that path are we going to go? You know, we have some people who are like, Hey, look, well, Google maps told me to drive here, <laughs> yeah. you know, and there was a wall, you know, I oh, get yeah. that. But uh, you know, when it comes down to uh, matters of the heart, uh, uh, I, I get a little concerned, you know, when we have the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the Star Trek psychological database <laughs> <laughs> analyzing us and, and telling us what our, our problems are. You know? Hey, science fiction always seems to predict stuff before it happens, it seems like. So. Well, it does. It does. But, you know, I, I, see, I see real good coming out of AI, right? You know, there's, there are a lot of medical things that can come out of it, uh, a lot of wonderful uh, safety things that can come out of it. I just grow concerned that I want us, I hope that we are cautious and aware of how it does or does not change uh, our behaviors. That's my biggest concern. Yeah, and have you have you seen the uh, the Pixar movie Wall-E? Lo- <laughs> love love that. I always draw back to that because it's right? the quintessential future that humanity is ultimately may right? having to come to grips with, where everybody's in space in these giant floating chairs where they just don't have to right. do anything because the technology is so advanced that you don't have to do anything. And I really think that's where Pixar and Disney was going with that too. I agree. Was I kind thought, of warning a... us against, oh, well, if you keep relying <laughs> too much on your technology, you're going to wind up fat blobs up in space in these floating right? chairs. And for your listeners who haven't seen it or should re-see it, it's one of my favorite movies. And because of that message, right? Uh, that message is really driven home. Are we going to get to it to that point? When are we going to hit that point that uh, we really, we're, we're not, I mean, those people can't walk for crying out loud. No. <laughs> um, but are we, are we there yet? Like where, where we expect uh, everything, uh, machines and everything to, to serve up, uh, serve up our drinks and our food and, 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 and all that. that. That's a very telling message right. in that movie. I'm glad you brought that up. So what are some of the best ways then that you think, I guess, anybody, whether it be in their personal lives or within their organization, can begin working on their overall EQ development and practicing more EQ strategies to make sure that we don't lose that along the way through this technological, well, this, this age of technology that we're in and we're going to keep diving deeper into over the next decade? I think uh, the biggest thing that people can do that two components uh, uh, of uh, emotional intelligence are uh, self-assessment and self-management. Becoming self-aware is is the key thing. Just know where you stand. Be open to the fact that, you know, there may be changes uh, that you need to make about how you respond uh, to your emotional triggers. That's first and foremost. And then once you're aware of that, how you manage it. And there are assessments you can take uh, if you just Google emotional intelligence assessments. Uh, and then uh, on the heels of that, there's an aware, there, there's a social piece to that. 
how we, uh, how we interact with others. And I think that's where I see the biggest struggle. That's where I saw the biggest struggle when I was a project manager. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the problems that I solved. That was one of my superpowers was getting people to just talk about their issues. And so I could hear what was going on. Yeah. And then once we got in a group setting, it was a lot easier for people to interact socially once, we, once they understood and we understood uh, that they had a self-awareness issue around what their emotional triggers were. I mean, I didn't do any counseling or anything like right. that. It was just, uh, just being aware of what your triggers are and how you respond uh, to uh, emotional situations, understanding that you can control how you respond. It's how you act afterwards that's the, uh, that's the most important part. No, absolutely. And I think I've noticed too, specifically with a lot of organizations and how they're remodeling their recruitment and human resources processes is there's a lot more emphasis these days on emotional intelligence because I'm I'm almost learning here, you know, now that I've been in the workforce for, you know, three and a half years is you can train anybody on almost anything, you know, let alone, of course, if you're looking at a doctor or a lawyer or any real special profession like that, of course, but you can train anybody on almost anything. But what you can't train them on is emotional intelligence and how they respond to situations and how their attitude is, their personality, what they bring to the table in that regard. And I think there is so much more value that needs to be placed overall on EQ more than any other type of, of technical skill, I, would, I think. I don't know what your thoughts yeah. are on that. Well, I, I, I think emotional intelligence is something that can be uh, – that people themselves can change. They can change it if they're made aware of it. So I totally agree with you that people come to a situation uh, with whatever their, you know, like I said, their intelligence and their personality, that's, that's really not changeable. Uh, and, and we do come to a situation with a certain, you know, whatever we are at that moment in our emotional intelligence, uh, what we can do, because uh, this happened to me, I was fortunate enough to be coached in many situations early in my career where people were, uh, were kind and said, you know, uh, you don't need to open your mouth and be funny in every meeting. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, I, 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 I guess I don't. And, uh, you know, people would coach me, you know, that's not a, yeah. that's not a, a socially acceptable thing all the time. You know, you need to listen more. And listening is, a, is an emotional intelligence strategy. Oh, so, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, those are some things that uh, people can pay attention to again, being open uh, to wanting to, to, to make that change. No, I, I think that's fantastic advice. So again, um, just switching gears a bit and maybe going back to, to something we talked about in the beginning. When we look at, given your background more in data, IT, market intelligence, project management, how do you think overall market intelligence is going to become more intelligent with the arrival of AI. I know we kind of talked about how the insurance agency collects data, but now right. drawing in this EQ component as well, how do you think that just market intelligence overall is going to become smarter and more advanced with the arrival of, of AI into the mix here? I think it does go back to something we talked about before. You know, uh, as anybody who's created, creating and running a business knows, I mean, what you're going after is... Uh, uh, everybody talks about creating these market personas for your uh, for your ideal buyer, your ideal customer, and I really believe that you know 
people are AI either can 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 self teach or people can program mm-hmm. uh, AI to be aware of certain buying patterns, behaviors. Uh, you know, uh, pick an, pick anything. Any anybody's buying behavior, but those buying those buying behaviors are driven by emotion, right? And so once uh, once uh, we can capture. Uh, what is making the, what, what is driving those decisions for people? You know, am I buying because I'm depressed? Am I buying because I'm sad? Am I buying because I'm happy? Am I buying to celebrate? Am I buying, what, why am I buying? You know, so mm-hmm. once we figure out the whys behind that and can attach, uh, honestly, ones and zeros behind that. Yeah. I believe that, uh, I believe that AI will become, I, I, I was going to, I wasn't going to say, <laughs> I was going to say emotionally aware, but emotionally smart right? Uh, at least it will provide more and more directional uh, information about who's buying what and why. And right. I know we're doing that today. I just think it's going to get even more sophisticated. Again, as you have mountains and mountains of data of people's buying decisions and, and people's uh, buying reasons. Well, and I almost wonder if somebody in a role like yours, where you really do focus on teaching and training people about emotional intelligence and how to be self-aware and cognizant, if what you do actually becomes more valuable when we look at the scope of technology and we look at the scope Mm. of AI, because if these tech companies are trying to train artificial intelligence more specifically, you know, we look at voice assistants and and conversational artificial intelligence to be more human-like, you know, what's to say that somebody like you whose specialty lies in emotional intelligence and the study of emotion really and and how we interact with one another what's to say that doesn't become more valuable in this marketplace as we're trying to advance and program and train these artificial intelligence models to be more human-like well i think they will because think about it uh, it's not only what we're saying it's how we're saying it that's what we talk about in emotional intelligence so now if you have the computer analyzing how i say something right pitch tone volume intensity and then you also have a uh, video uh, screen monitoring uh, everything about my facial cues or my body language uh, and what that means, and then tie it to the words that I'm using or my actions. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. I mean, we're doing that now for a variety of reasons, right? You know, whether it's uh, in investigations or solving crimes or, you know, detecting disease, whatever it happens to be. Well, that same data is being collected and it tells it can tell the computer something about how we're feeling in the moment that we're making a buying decision, right? right. If it reads my face, it reads my voice. Holy cow, are you kidding? <laughs> Absolutely. And I know there's even in, uh, I give a talk on the future of work and I even know in human resources and recruitment, they're already starting to deploy some of these artificial intelligence technologies that can analyze behavior in real time and facial expressions of different things to carry out virtual interviews with potential candidates, which if you think about the current form of recruiting where you have to hire so many people who, you know, one of our flaws, of course, as human beings is we just by nature make split second judgments of somebody without knowing the whole story. Right. That happens all the time in recruiting. You know, imagine we have a recruitment system in organizations where you have an artificial intelligence that just analyzing facial expressions, analyzing tone of voice can objectively make a better ranking and decision about the person you're about to hire than the human being could because you don't have 
that split second subjective judgment. I think that type of stuff is incredible. Right. You don't have the judgment. You don't have the bias. And go one step further. I know. I think it was MIT was uh, uh, a year or two ago. I remember reading they were they were uh, installing devices. They had people wearing small little clip devices, uh, and it was recording. Uh, everything they said, and I think what the I believe what the uh, study was doing was trying to determine who who how uh, how and who uh, works best in teams, mm-hmm. and that's a big big thing that I focused on. So can can the technology help us? I know there are a lot of assessments that do that, but is there is there something where AI could put together the perfect team uh, of people to work oh, yeah. on problems based on their skill sets? And we do have assessments for that, but. Uh, what if we went even deeper uh, and there were, a, there were a set of algorithms that could figure out that uh, you and I, for example, Nick, would be ideal just based on strengths, personality, uh, things you and I haven't even thought about or that others couldn't even detect and they would put us and other people on the same team. Holy cow. That's, oh my another, gosh. that's another right advanced use oh, of, yeah. I mean, of AI. Because as you know, developing teams within organizations is just a challenge and a half because it's so hard to know who to pair who with. Are these people going to get along? Are they going to have the same opinions? Are they going to be able to disagree with each other? Yeah. I mean, there's so many different factors at play in that specific use case that that's a perfect example. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the technology being able to assist with that. Or at um, least help. Right. And yeah, I don't think definitely. we'll ever, we'll ever going to reply. I hope we don't replace, you know, the human factor of it, but if we right. can get a little smarter about it, I think that's a, a place where the, the tech could go. Absolutely. So if you could develop a dream AI application, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. Big rapid fire question right there out of the blue. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it would be interesting. I'm going to go back to the emotional intelligence side. So I know we live in a world where there are so many emotions and uh, we live in a world of communication. And I see so many people struggle with miscommunication. You know, I, I would love to see an app that would help us understand, um, I guess, hu- human uh, emotion and intent. Context. You know, that goes a long way, right? You know, yeah. the, 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 and I'm not saying, you know, I, 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 want, uh, I want a thought reader. <laughs> not that. <laughs> Uh, God forbid. Yeah, that would be that would be, um, be a bit scary. But something, yeah, you know that you know maybe maybe helps us discern. You know, I, some some of us are good at this, but you know, I hear you saying this, but boy, uh, you know the way you're saying it and your expressions are telling me another story. Um, uh, what what does that do for us? Uh, so I don't know if the technology is ever going to be smart enough to do that. You know, like where we have a little. Uh, we, we walk around with this little clip on our belts or our uh, yeah. clip to our shirts and the little red light comes on when it detects something uh, not right. I don't know. Uh, I, I know there's still a lot of, I don't want to remove the mystery out of right. uh, human interaction, but uh, I wonder if the technology is getting there where uh, it's just going to analyze every, every move we make and uh, just spit out <laughs> what our true intent might be. We'll see if that ever gets developed. Yeah, I, I actually think that would be an amazing, amazing use case because I can't tell you how many times I have gotten an email from somebody and because they may have worded something that they thought was a certain intent and the way it came across to me was perceived totally different, 
the right. rift that that's caused. So if there could be a way for AI to be able to understand the context of that a bit better, and maybe, you know, say I send you an email worded a certain way, the AI could word it a different way that you would understand it because it knows how you respond to certain situations based on a variety of factors. I think that would be, that would be incredible. Then there would be no more miscommunication. That would be helping <laughs> communication, right? So. It would be, you know, it's interesting. There are some companies out there who will, uh, instruct you on, uh, they, they'll read people's emails and kind of give you guide, they, they will give you guidance on how to respond to that person based on a DISC profile, uh, the DISC, uh, DISC profile. Uh, the other thing that's going on these days, uh, I don't know if you've noticed it, but uh, I use Grammarly and within my Gmail, uh, as I start typing a text, it is now in beta form, it's detecting the mood of that text. It's yeah. uh, suggesting, is this appreciative? Is it joyful? Is it formal? Is it whatever it might be? Was that your intent? <laughs> um, and I'm like, when did this show up? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we have some forms of AI learning because it's learning, right? It's in beta. So they're collecting, again, massive amounts of data and uh, looking at those written, uh, written communications and, and telling us what it thinks the tone is. Yeah, I, I think what Grammarly is doing is fascinating because I, I haven't installed it pretty much all my devices except my phone right. to help me with spelling. And because, you know, sometimes there's a comma that's supposed to go here that may not go there, you know, just yeah. that type of stuff. So I really think what they're doing is is really powerful. And, and I think that kind of goes into what we've been talking about here the past couple of minutes is, you know, something that can really help with communication, I think would be essential. But as we kind of wrap things up here, of course, I always ask the same question at the end here. What is one thing that you think someone can do today to begin leveraging AI either personally or within their organization or business? You know, I, I'm going to keep going with the uh, emotional uh, and the... Uh, Tis your specialty. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in that route. Uh, I think anything that they can use uh, AI whether it's tools like Grammarly or the, any of these things that help uh, with, with communication skills. Uh, I, think, I think that's the biggest place. And the biggest place where I'm seeing uh, communication, miscommunication is the written word, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's texts or... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, or emails. And, you know, exclamation marks and emojis don't solve everything. So I think, I believe uh, the more that people can... Uh, take advantage of AI, like, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Google finishing your sentences or learning how to <laughs> uh, auto detect uh, your, your language or Grammarly, you know, suggesting the tone of your email, uh, things like that. Uh, I think those are important. Uh, I just think writing and communicating are just two essential skills. So anything that people can do in the workplace today, uh, you know, beyond using AI to analyze data and all that kind of stuff. I just think anything they can use to, to better communicate with their, uh, their fellow person <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, would, would be ideal. I think that's one of the biggest ways we can start taking advantage of AI today. Absolutely. I, I think that's excellent advice. Well, Roger, it's been an absolute blast having you on the show. And if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, reach out to you, what are some of the best ways they can go about doing that? Best ways they can do that, you can reach me at Roger, R-O-G-E-R, -E at rogerwalkoff.com, R-O-G-E-R-W-O-L-K-O-F-F.com. -F and my biggest thing is I love to talk to people, 
279-5160. You are the first guest to give out your cell phone number. Congratulations on that one. Really? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Pretty much everybody so far, of course, has given out you know social info and email and different things, but you took the leap here, so kudos to you. <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed being on the show with you, Nick. Thanks. Uh, always, always great to talk tech with you, my friend. Absolutely. I, I love your thoughts and on just emotional intelligence and how that's going to involve technology. So I'm really glad we got to chat here. So thank you so much again, and we'll chat soon. Thanks for having me. Artificial intelligence, voice recognition, machine learning. Robot. You've been listening to the Artificial Podcast with your host, Nick Myers. Nick Myers. To stay up to date with all our latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. To learn more about how your organization can benefit by unlocking the power of AI and voice, visit www.redfox-ai.com. Until next time.